G'day, this is Tim Reid, former world champion and head coach at RPG Coaching, and this is The Greg Bennett Show. Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was an absolutely outstanding conversation with the one and only Tim Reid, Reedy, who uh, is one of the all-time great triathletes. We discuss transitioning from being a professional triathlete to sort of finding your way, um, but then we also we dive into all of the world's uh, big events going on right now, whether that's the PTO or the Ironman 70.3 or Ironman World Championships, the Olympic qualifying, um, absolutely outstanding episode. I love these conversations with Reedy. He's, he's doing a fantastic job now with his coaching business, so go check him out. Um, but I think you're going to enjoy this one as much as I did. I truly loved it. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today's guest is a true legend of the triathlon world. He's an Australian superstar with an impressive resume that includes over 80 professional podium finishes, 23 Ironman 70.3 wins, the Ironman Australia Championship, and his crowning achievement, the Ironman 70.3 World Championship in 2016. He joined me on the show almost two years ago to the day, if you can believe it, in episode 90. And that one we were in person. This one we're on other sides of the world. I'm in Florida and he's back in Australia. Um, 6 a.m. back there, I believe, too, by the way. So thanks, thanks, mate, for getting up so early. But look, since then... He's transitioned into full-time coaching, and he recently started his own podcast, the Triathlon Therapy Podcast, which you got to go listen to. It has a lot of great tips on how to train and everything else. Um, today's conversation, well, it just promises to be uh, an exploration into the world of triathlon. We'll recap his journey to start, and then we're going to dive deep into just the state of the sport, um, cover, covering all the major events like 20 the 2023 Ironman 70.3 World Championships, Ironman Kona and Nice World Championships, the Olympics, PTO events, wow, and everything else in between. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's going to be a cracker. So without further ado, welcome and thanks for joining me once again on The Greg Bennett Show, Tim Reed, Reedy, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm really good and thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it seems like Seems like it was only yesterday that we chatted <laughs> in person and, geez, time, time flies, especially when you're not flying around the world chasing races the same as before. It, time even goes quicker just staying at home and watching from a distance. <laughs> it does, mate. I, it was funny, you know, I, I was like, okay, so I've had Reedy on. Let me just scroll down, you know, the Apple podcast list and I'll, I'm like, huh, I'm still going. I'm still going. I'm still <laughs> It was like 100 <laughs> episodes ago, um, you know, and we were, we were chatting in my basement in, in Boulder and – Gosh, yeah, it made me think. I've been doing this podcast a long time now. <laughs> it's like yeah. almost four years worth. Um, but mate, where where are you? What? And it's six a.m. There, you've gotten up early. What's the day look like? Well, to be honest, Greg, this is a pretty normal. This is, these are my main work hours. I, I like to get up at around five. Uh, yeah. Often coaching a group here yeah. by six a.m. Um, probably some of the more fun part of the coaching is actually is the actual face to face stuff mm. and. It's funny, the group here is a real mix of athletes. You know, I think when I was racing, um, obviously as a professional, I thought I'd only be coaching professional athletes when I retired. And I've, I've actually learned that I like to coach across the full spectrum. You know, mm. there's only so much so much of pros you want to take. Like I think, you know, if you've got four to five pros, that's sort of the max limit because it is another level of commitment. There is a certain level of uh, OCD and, you know, anxiety that they yeah. bring to the table that it's sometimes just fun to coach people just just looking to stay fit and healthy. So mm -hmm. that's, yeah, um, 
these are these are my regular hours and it's nice to break it up with another chat to you um nice. like i said i've got my son outside the office right now playing lego so anything could happen <laughs> no one else is awake in the house but as long as uh, as long as he stays entertained we're good to go how, how how old are the boys now so four nine and eleven so we're sort of getting out of that yeah that, yeah um you know that real crazy zone i think there's been a few mornings now where we even leave them a note and i'll run around the block a few times and it's not a huge stress to yeah to be within five minutes of the house uh you know, we're getting full night's sleeps most nights. So it's Wow, uh, that's awesome. And you're up yeah. in Tweed Heads, is that where you are? We're in I'm in Lennox Head. Lennox Head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a part yeah. of the world to live. My goodness. We we just had six weeks back home. Um, went to Sydney for a bit. We actually stayed on stayed in Noosa for ten days. Um Boy, the weather just laid on perfectly. It was winter down in Australia, leaving the Florida extreme heat that they've had over here this year to go down to Australia was just absolutely divine. We were so happy to get down there after, yeah, almost five years, you know, if you include pandemic years, which I don't think we should, I think we should just forget about those years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mate, and so how is the coaching? You said you got three or four pros and you got a, how many many people are you actually coaching in total and who are the pros you're working with? Um, Four sort of coaches that work for me, another couple that sort of do a little bit for me. Um, The group's going well. We're sort of, um, my main partner in it is Clint Rowlings and Liz Blatford plays a big role as well. Mm. And it's sort of, you know, like I said to you before, I've never really had been good at planning things out, but it just sort of, I just sort of fell into it. I was always coaching even a little bit as an athlete, just because I loved exercise physiology Mm -hmm. and wanted to help out, you know, a couple of young guys who I thought, just weren't quite getting it right and so it sort of happened naturally it's grown really well um we're sort of looking at what the next phase with it is there's only so many athletes you can take on as a Mm. with the one-on-one coaching so we'll we'll branch out into something a little bit more scalable later this year um but it's it's been fun I think as an athlete you know it is a hard transition to to go into Mm. the next phase of your life I'm, I'm sure I'd actually wouldn't even mind talking to you about that and see how you mm-hmm. found the transition. But I sort of had to be busy and um, I think having something to go into pretty quickly and not let the the, the noise that comes into your mind without training five hours a day. Yeah. Um, it. I think it's been really helpful for me personally just to have other people to focus on. It was hard, I think, to, to go to races to start with and realise – you know, to, to be on the sidelines. Um, mm. But that that sort of longing to be out there is sort of faded. And I get so much pleasure out of watching, you know, watching Steve McKenna win Ironman Australia, for example, or even just watching some of the age groupers I work with, you know, knock off 20, 30 minutes off their times and to be sort of in tears with them at the finish line. It gives me that same buzz as when I was racing. So, mm. yeah, it's been a good transition. How, when you sort of finished up, was it a I mean, because you seemed, it seemed like, you know, you were trying to, you had a few issues with the body and um, I know you you had the run injuries and things like that. Was it a struggle? Because I know I found that first 12 months where I realised I was transitioning yeah. <laughs> mentally, I didn't take it that well. Yeah, it's funny, and- even, though you, even though you know it's coming, right? It, it's still, um, what I didn't realise was the, it was all about having, a, I'd had a purpose for, you know, 27 30 years as a professional athlete. Um, and then all of a sudden that purpose isn't there. And it's not a matter of just flicking a switch. I think you've said it right. I think the best thing you can do is keep moving and, and keep 
that a little bit of purpose somewhere. But I like to explain it as it's um, you almost lose that cocktail of hormones that you're so used to of the dopamine, endorphins, oxytocin, serotonin, and you've, mm. you've gotten all of those from driving towards something in sport. And you got that, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, as you prepared and prepared, and then you do the big events and you either, you know, do well or you'd, <laughs> you'd fail. But either way, you had this purpose and the hormones were always there. And, and then you stop. And it's not just like, oh, you know, I'll go more be a coach or I'll go do this or whatever. You got it. There's almost, I think there's a physical transition that's got to take place at the hormonal sense. And yeah. that, that took me a little while. Um, I think starting the podcast was great for me. I think, you know, what, what you're doing, interacting, coaching other people, making sure it's not about you so much. Um, but it did take me longer than I probably had anticipated. Um, and now I can, you know, I can very much comfortably, (laughs) now it's been seven years. I'm kind of, yeah, I get it. Um, but that transition, I think firstly, accepting that it's not just, oh, click a switch and change my mind and now I'm going to be this person. Understanding that I think it is at a deeper hormonal level and once you understand that, you can kind of gradually work on finding your purpose again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I, I almost went cold turkey on training mm-hmm. to begin with and realised I was just absolutely miserable and had to find a way to sort of get up to 90 minutes a day, which sounds excessive <laughs> for anyone who's not racing. But I, yeah. I agree with you. I think my brain was so conditioned to those chemicals mm-hmm. that if mm-hmm. I didn't get that, I just didn't feel normal. I yeah. felt, you know, it, it just wasn't right. And, and I'm slowly whittling that down to now I can do 30 to 45 minutes. Yes, day and, and then and you start loving like, it. <laughs> not like, be climbing up the walls. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, 30 to 40 minutes, max. Yeah. Now I'm good. <laughs> I know. I, I read a book too. I think it's called Chasing the Sunset by Scott Tinley. Mm. Um, mm. He just dives into um, professional athletes retiring. Interesting. And I think it was good that I read that before I actually retired because yeah. it, it is alarming, the, the stats on yeah. the number of athletes that end up even who've had lots of money who end up bankrupt, I think the divorce rate in the first two years Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. retiring is something like 50%. Wow. Um, There's just so many issues with that pro athletes go through. through. I mean, you know, obviously there's the loss of identity, but then there's all the brain chemicals. Um, I I actually think... loss of identity is a big thing too. Yeah, but I do think at its core, I have a very good friend of mine who, you know, is a world-renowned hockey player and... um, professional athlete and look these guys are mega stars and it's and yeah they're retiring with tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars so you know the incentive to go work or, or create a business or is not really there on that sense um yep. whereas when we we retire from triathlon there's still a little bit of like okay well you better you still got to provide and protect the family <laughs> you better do something <laughs> right but yeah and then but there is all of that that I really do believe it is that, that yes, the, cock, the, the identity, but I do believe it's the cocktail um, of hormones. And I, I do think it's one of those things that gradually over time, holding somebody's hand and just letting them find the way of finding purpose again and finding things outside of themselves. I think the best thing you've said is that you're helping others. And, and I do think it's amazing when you help others 
how much better you feel in yourself. That it's not just about you trying to improve you. It's like, look, if I help others, now I that that cocktail of hormones that I'm talking about, it's reignited, right? I, yeah. I think that's a great place to start. And and I think if we talk about athletes transitioning, that would be almost the number one place I'd start and say, look, it's not about you anymore, but it, it is about you helping others and, and seeing how you can, and whether that's coaching or giving talks or just volunteering at some triathlons, whatever it is, getting out yeah. there and starting to help. Um, I do, I do think that's a, that's a big one, but it's a fascinating topic and conversation area for me. I, I, I think the transition side, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've been texting with, with Jan, you know, Fedino, who, who's, you know, said that this is his last year. And I said, look, mate, let's, let's just chat. I said, it doesn't have to be a podcast recording because I think he's over <laughs> me reaching out there. But I said, look, it's uh, just, I want you to know I'm here as somebody that, you know, I spent 32 years in the sport racing, 27 of those professionally. I know what it's like to be absorbed um, and then to slowly walk away. And, and I think if you can surround yourself with a few other people, you know, maybe you, me, and a couple of others, we, we create, maybe we start a, a little group and uh, we'll see where it goes. But in terms of just being there for each other and helping each other transition, I think it's a, it's a great idea. I think too, like you said, that the guys that have been through it, I do think it's important to reach out to the guys that are then going to go through it. Yes, I mean, yes. Craig Alexander was, he's been amazing, you know, always mm. has so much going on in his own life. Yeah. But he always just sends a message like, how are you doing with it all, you yeah. know, checking in. And um, I think the guys, yeah, no one really gets it except for the, the guys that have, that have been yes. through it. And it, did, it does make a world of difference when someone just yeah. sends you a message and checks in and um, – no, well, so mate, I think there's, I think there's a group here. I think we're about to start our own little, because <laughs> you know I've had the same conversations with Crowy, Craig, uh, Simon Whitfield, Hamish Carter, um, you know, and it don't, just because you're finishing with a gold medal or world number one or being the goat or whatever, it, it doesn't mean that it's and or if you've just been somebody that's won a couple of races, it, it, the transition it, it takes a bit. Um, and for some, it's quick, some it's easy, others it's going to be a little bit more. And it's, I think it's accepting that it's a process rather than just flicking a switch. Yeah, yeah, good mate. point. <laughs> well, well, that could be the show, mate. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but, hey, before we move on and start talking about the world of, of, world of triathlon, where it's at, um, let's, do, let's do a quick recap on your journey and who you are just for, you know, I, I do recommend listeners go back and listen to your episode, episode 90, this time two years ago. Um, definitely dive in deep into your whole journey and everything else. Um, but let's do a quick recap. So, you know, you started sport when, how old were you? And, um, you know, and what was all that like? And I believe you and Cam were for good mates, right? Yeah. So Cam and I um, grew up on Lord Howe Island, tiny island, east of Australia. I think it's got 300, 400 people living Didn't there. know anybody um, lived there, yeah. I thought it was just a... Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I was just always a team sports guy. I think I was, you know, I think the generation of top triathletes now, they've sort of, most of them have started triathlon quite young, whereas I, I really, I finished school and I was actually following um, a lot of the domestic racing that you and um, mm. Courtney Atkinson and Crowey and Macca were all doing. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to do triathlon. And I didn't. I think I decided that when I was sixteen, but I didn't even start training till I was eighteen. <laughs> and then I was still playing a bit of rugby, still doing it. You know, yeah. I was and I was terrible at triathlon because I had no background. <laughs> but I just loved it. And eventually, 
slowly progressed and, and got quite serious around 23, 24, and then turned pro when I was 25. Wow. Um, but I was just a, yeah, I, I basically learning to swim at 19 years of age. So uh, I always knew I had an engine because I'd, you know, I'd do these rugby fitness tests and I'd be, you know, kicking the ass of guys quite a bit older and, um, you know, the rugby coaches would go, why aren't you doing running? You know, you shouldn't be playing rugby. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. There was, there was some, a level of talent there, but no real history in any of the sports. So, um, but I think combined with my sort of slightly obsessive personality or addictive personality, triathlon mm. was a good sport for me and um, kept me out of trouble through my 20s and eventually was able to sort of make a, make a living from it. So, I love that. Yeah. I love that, you know, you, you open up the you know, with, I've got young kids a bit like you, but mine are, mine are three and a half and five and a half. And, and being in South Florida here, I feel like I'm surrounded by parents that are trying to create world champion athletes from four-year-olds and, you know, golf and tennis primarily at the forefront. And Laura and I just shake our heads and go, they're going to be fried by 13, 14. These kids are going to be done and they're not even going to love sport. And I, I love that, you know, to hear someone, look, you can play a lot of sports and then when you find the one that you really enjoy you might be 18 19 but then do it with intent do it with intent yep. and really go about trying to make it happen and um i love that you were playing rugby and then you found triathlon a few years later what what were some of you know the biggest highs of your career i know i touched on on a few of them in in the intro there but some of the greatest highs i think it's it's funny i, I look back i raced in the open category for the first time it was before there were really 70.3 events going on, but there were half Ironmans mm. um, in Australia. So there was, I think they had a half Ironman series and I jumped in thinking, oh, I've, I've won my age group a few times. Let's see if I can finish in the top 10 of the, the pros. And I remember it was Pete Jacobs and I battling it out for second, third. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I could do this. I finished third, but I was crying in the last kilometer. I was so ecstatic that I finished on a podium. That is (laughs) so so cool. You know, I remember that being as emotional as, you know, coming down the finish line of Ironman Australia as a winner or, you know, because I was so shocked that, oh, I could actually maybe do this, you know. So um, that that sort of stands out. I think, um, you know, it's funny that, that that always really sticks out. I think Ironman Australia was a huge moment because I was never a real diesel, um, you know, mm. a little bit like yourself, but probably not quite as extreme in that mm-hmm. I was sort of naturally good over shorter stuff and gradually made that to where I could last for four hours, but I was always blowing up incredibly badly in Ironman racing. It just wasn't, it really wasn't for me. And um, so to get, get an Ironman win when I think I just wasn't that talented at it, that was, that was really special. Um, that's cool. To the, to, yeah. because again, it was that moment where I just didn't expect it. Yeah. And so yeah. I think those results where I really blew my mind, you know, 2015, I went into 70.3 world champs, so sure that I could win the race and got, got my ass kicked. 2016, <laughs> no expectations, <laughs> won the race and was shocked again. I yeah, was like, oh, yeah. I've sort of come to terms with the fact yes. that I was never going to win this race. God, that know? sounds familiar. That is, sounds so familiar. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think expectations and yeah. pressure can really kill a, kill a performance and just letting go of trying to win. Yes. You, know, you have these guys who are so set on winning and that never worked for me. No. Whenever I'd let go of winning and just enjoyed the race and just wanted to get the most out of myself, 
that's when I'd walk away going, shit, that was a really good race, you know. It's amazing, isn't it? And we keep preaching, you know, focus on the process, focus on the process. And yet, you know, you do, you get caught up going, all right, I I am so ready to destroy these guys. I'm going to crush it. And then you go there and you can't get out of your own way. And you're like, oh, my God. And then you have these races where, look, I am so underdone. Just try not to embarrass yourself. (laughs) And I I remember the year high V for me, it was like I turned up in 2011 going, look, there's a couple of bike premiums. They're five grand each. Just try and get one. That'll be a really, which means you've got to be leading at some point on the bike. So I yep. got to the front of the bike and then it was like, oh, I got one. And it was, oh, oh, I'm, I'm winning the race now. Oh, oh, shit, hang on. <laughs> it's like it was such a shock and it wasn't yeah. planned at all. And they're the best wins, aren't they? They're the ones that you're like, what is going on right now? It's funny that, that you mentioned that race. I remember I hadn't really met you at that point, but you got into the, uh, we got into the same taxi or, uh, to go to the airport after, after that race. <laughs> and I remember you being, you were definitely hung over, but <laughs> you were such a gentleman. I was like, Oh, congrats on the win. And you were just, I could tell you were dusty as, but you really gave me some time. And I thought, Oh, that, that really stuck in my mind too. Oh, so right. just to mention that I, I remember, you know, there's a few other top pros that you know as a fanboy i met and you just get really let down um you're like oh they don't have time for me because i'm still pretty shit it's disappointing (laughs) isn't it yeah uh, it was just a it was a special moment first of all just because the way you destroyed that race and then Uh, um, yeah i remember that 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 night so the night after the race we're in des moines iowa on a sunday night there's not a lot of places to go but then we found this tiny little bar and uh i remember i remember chris mccormack coming out and I knew he was racing the next week to try and qualify for the Australian team for the Olympics for 2012, which was a very long shot, mind you, but he he still wanted to give it a go. And, and he was such a mate because he actually said, no, mate, I'm I'm going out with you. We're going to celebrate. You know, I was like, oh, thanks buddy. And we went in there and and there was probably 30 people showed up or whatever, 50 people maybe. And, you know, I always feel as an Aussie, whenever you win a race, especially if it's a decent prize money, you, you buy, you buy, you shout, what we say in Australia, you shout the bar or you, you buy the bar. And uh, I remember trying to get everybody, you know, drinking and having a few and even there were some locals in there, probably 20 locals, and I just said to the bartender, look, I've, I've got the tab, I've got the tab. <laughs> and it ended up being about $600. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I thought I was going to be this massive big spender and it was like, no, it was a small little tavern. It really wasn't that bad, but it was a special <laughs> night, mate. Um, yeah, so I probably was a bit hangover in the taxi with you the next day. <laughs> no, you did well. You still gave everyone time, which um, is I appreciate which is it, buddy. Important. So, look, when, when we when we look back, you know, were there some lows along the way that you were able to really learn from? Yeah, I think um, a lot of lows. Like, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think for every high, you have just as many lows. Yeah, and that's, at least. You know, it's the yeah. roller coaster of racing. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always the exceptions to the rule who are just, you know, freaks of nature, but yes, I certainly yeah. wasn't in that category. Yeah. And I think the last couple of years were really hard uh you know i mentioned to you before we started my heart was giving me more and more issues um with subventricular tachycardia mm. and it just got to you know it used to happen once once a, once a year and it was happening every single race and you know when you feel like you you can't rely on your body anymore it's scary that that was what i found really hard the will was still there you know, I still had good sponsorship. There was nothing really holding me back except my bloody heart would go out of rhythm mm. um, when I, you know, you know, as soon as I'd push up above one sixty heart rate, and uh, so that was hard. I think letting go, um, 
uh, and then there was other races, you know, one year in Kona, I was, I'd ridden my way into third thinking this is after a pretty average 2017 where it had a lot of few health issues. Uh, finally got it together for Kona, rode into third and then punctured and, mm. and then stood on, stood on the start line. They didn't have any, I had to wait for the age group wheel support because they'd had three or four punches in the last 10 K and just watching, you know, months of work. I don't think people realize with a race like Kona, the expense to train up for it properly too. Yeah. You know, I'd done the altitude camp. I'd done the heat camp. I went all in on it that year. You know, for me, once I'd won 70.3 worlds, the appeal of chasing that race never really, I, I, it was done. The yeah, next yeah. step Tick for box. me was yep. Kona. Yep. And so I went all in on it and, you know, I remember just going, oh, I can't believe it. I'm finally in this race. You know, normally I'm, you know, it, it was it was happening and then just standing there for 10 minutes watching you know, <sighs> the whole race go away. That Those sort of moments, you just, it takes months to bounce back from. Yes. Um, and, you know, with a family and, and Monica, I did a lot of it solo too. Monica had her own career back home. And um, so a lot of it was very lonely. It was hard on Monica. It was hard on me. And then those sort of moments, you're like, I think I retired about 50 times through my career in the mm-hmm. middle of races. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you had similar, similar times that, can, is anything stand out for you that was particularly heartbreaking? Oh, for me, oh, yeah, mate. <laughs> like you, I think you. Everybody sees a professional athlete and they see your wins and and we celebrate them and it's like that's kind of what everybody likes to remember. But you know, Laura and I often laugh that we feel like we were injured or on the sidelines more than we were probably in the game competing at the highest light. And and it's, I think the biggest one for me was probably the 2000 Olympics and, and just being left off that team, which was a little bit out of my hands. Um, I do take a bit of responsibilities. I, th- I think I could have been in better shape than I was at the qualifications, but it came down to the selectors. That that really hurt being left off that team, um, specifically because that was a course that really suited me. I was at home and everything about that was, was really dark. Um Escape from Alcatraz. I never won that race. I, I finished on the podium. I don't know how many times, but I remember one year um, I was coming back from, I think, Ishigaki, Japan or Gamagori, Japan. I'd, I'd won the weekend before in, in the World Cup and knew I was going pretty well. And I went to Alcatraz thinking, well, if I can get off the bike with Chris McCormack and Craig Walton, I, I believe I can win. And I got out of the water with Craig Walton and we I end up getting off the bike a minute in front of him and, and two minutes in front of Chris McCormack, having one of those days, you know, when your body just lights up and you're just like, whoa. And rather than going, okay, I've got it one and just take, you know, don't do anything stupid. I was like pure ego driven idiot. Um, going, <laughs> I'm going to smash these guys. And, and I remember getting to the turnaround on the beach and anybody's done escape from Alcatraz knows it's pretty, it's a fun run, but it's tough. It's got stairs and single track and you run down to the beach and along the beach and back and back up the sand ladder. And, and it was at the top of the sand ladder. I'm like, Ooh, I don't feel too good. And I had a four minute lead on the beach. And then all of a sudden just the wheels came off and, um, I collapsed and it was the first time I met, um, Chris, um, oh, who's the Uber biker? Um, from Liedo. Liedo. And Chris Lieto just sat with me on the sideline as I'd passed out and then carried me in and uh, oh. I had two IVs at the finish and everything else. It was just what, you know, when you just have an event, you know, it's Escape from Alcatraz. It wasn't a world title, but it was just one that 
I never got, I never got to win Noosa and I never got to win Escape from Alcatraz. And those two kind of sting me a little bit that I'd never turned up on the right day for those. Um, I have plenty more, but this show's not about me. <laughs> I, I, I could, I, I could keep I think going. Would but be more interested in, the, you know, in a lot of your races. Uh, well, look, when I'm on your podcast, we can talk about those. But I, um, look, I what think you just mentioning the Olympic um, selections. Yeah, is it? How do you feel about it now? Has it, like, especially from a triathlon, uh, sorry, Australian perspective, mm. are there countries that you think are doing it well? And has Australia? Do you like the way Australia's doing it? I noticed too, Joel Filiol's just moved on from I TA, that. I which that. I found interesting. I'd love to know the goss on that, which I don't. I don't have any insight. No, I don't either. I um, look. I, I think I've been heavily involved in both the Australian and US because Laura going through the US. Um, I think. I think it's very difficult for federations to get it right. There's a lot of pressure, not only from within the sport, but then also the the Olympic federations. You know, the overseas, um, the USOC or the the AOC for Australia, and and the requirements that have to be met and the ways that things are meant to be done. I would love to say, hey, you know, the first spot is just done on the World Triathlon Series ranking. Like honestly, if you've turned up over and over again. It was like Gwen Jorgensen. She would go on, what did she do? I've forgotten the statistic. But if I said she won 15 of 15 starts um, over the three years leading into to Rio and still she had to qualify for the US Olympic team. Well, to me that was madness. I just, you know, here's a woman who's just demolished the world and in that scenario you should just pick the team. There was another situation four years before that where I was sitting down with the the US team and saying, hang on, you've got Sarah Haskins, Sarah McClarty and Laura Bennett. The three of them can train together in quiet in Florida for six months. No one's going to swim with them, maybe a Helen Jenkins, maybe one or two others. The three of them could team time trial off the front and there's a good chance you're getting a gold and silver medal if you plan it out and you have the balls to do it right. And they laughed at me. Oh, no, we have to have a qualifying process which is fair for everybody. And I said, well, it's not fair for the, your best, though, is it? You've made it fair for average. I'm talking about making it. And I want to win a gold medal. What's the whole goal here? You know? Yeah. And um, so, yes, don't get me wrong. I was very biased towards Laura. So, of course, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little blinded by that. But so on one extreme, I'm saying, hey, you just pick a team and you create that gold medal and you do whatever you can. The next one I'm kind of saying, hey, you should look at the world rankings and pick where you are in the world rankings. And then the final one that a lot of the federations keep doing and I don't agree with is having a one-off qualifying event that has no relation to the World Series. Um, It's often a smaller field, less people turn up, the conditions aren't the same and all of a sudden you have these random people making Olympic teams and you're leaving your best on the sidelines. Um, But look... Australia doesn't have a problem at the at the moment in terms of picking, you know, we have Matt Hauser, really. I mean, the guy's on fire and uh, and I just hope they do right by him and don't make him jump through a whole bunch of, you know, hoops. Um, but, but a country like France have got the same problem Australia had 20 years ago where it's they've got so many, especially the men, their men's team, they've got so many to choose from. They're, they're, going to, they're going to be leaving really phenomenal athletes on the sideline. So, look, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one to get right. Um, I think if I was a high-performance, you know, leader, I would be saying, you know, between, say, Paris and L.A., I'd be saying, look, we'll be picking 
the two highest people on the World Series rankings leading, you know, the qualifying process, the 18 months leading into the games. Um, so long as you're top 20 or so, I actually make that quite a big window. Um, and then the final spot we'll probably be doing as a, you know, either domestic or if, you know, if they're ranked 20th to 30th or something, we'll, we'll definitely lean on them, that kind of thing. So it just depends on what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I'd, if, if I'm a high-performance man- manager, I'm trying to figure out how to win a gold medal. Yeah. I, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've always leaned towards, I like a really clear objective uh, qualifying system. I think discretion, I, I understand the angle that you're coming from um, where you do what you can to, to get the best chance of a gold medal. Mm. I sort of think you make it a year, you know, you got to make it specific to the actual course you're going to race. Yes. Or have a qualifying yes, event yes, yes. long enough out that people can target it um and then obviously you still got to take into account rankings and things like that but as soon as there becomes uh, as soon as there is discretionary powers i feel like it gets very very complicated yes Um, yeah no i agree with you i agree with you it's a tough one but i do look at the countries if you look at now who's won the gold medals and you look at people whether it be simon whitfield or nicholas spirig or christian blumenfeld or these people from the smaller countries that don't have to jump through as many hoops now alistair brownlee he's an enigma okay so yeah he put all the pressure on the world on that guy and he's still going to perform (laughs) but it does seem to me that if you're going to put a bunch of pressure amazing amount of pressure on your best athletes to perform a year out um or even closer to the game sometimes they're doing only three to four months before now you're now you're requiring your athletes to peak twice in a very short period of time um And look, some athletes don't peak anymore. Some like Christian Bloomfield's able to <laughs> stay at the best. <laughs> just is, he's having one yeah. long peak for five years. But I think, yeah. uh, you know, I do I do look back when Simon won his or, you know, even Hamish to a lesser degree, but um, Jan to a lesser degree, he had to qualify. In the, but they weren't having to kill themselves in qualifying. They were able to turn up to the Olympics fresh mm. um, and just sort of come and, and hit it out of the park um anyway that i mean when you see olympic teams being finalized within six you know within three to six months of the actual event i think that's crazy like Mm. it's got to be you know you find your best a year out and give them time to really plan out the whole 12 months ahead yeah yeah Um, i agree with that i agree with that no look mate and look talking olympics we might as well dive into this a little bit we got you know it's it's uh tuesday morning in australia monday here in florida and the end of this week, they've got the test event for Paris. Um, yeah, I was actually reading something where Christian Blumenfeld will be at the test event in Paris. Two days later, he's racing, I don't know if he's still doing this, but he's racing Singapore PTO. And then the week later, he's doing the 70.3 Worlds in Finland. So let's start with KB. <laughs> Can he pull off something like that? And how do you think he's going to go uh, at the test event anyway? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's you know, I would have had strong opinions a, a while ago and now you've just, he keeps proving me wrong. And, <laughs> know. you know, I, I said he'll never do well in Kona. You know, I just, yeah, yeah. he just seemed too big. He had has cramping issues. Yeah. And I just thought there's no, there's no way. And then obviously he still did fantastic in Kona. Mm. Um you know, I remember watching him as a maybe seven, eight years ago race in Malulaba 
<laughs> I feel really bad about this, but Clayton Patel and I are on the sidelines laughing, going, "This guy should be playing in the front row for yeah, yeah. you know, he's a unit, yeah, team. he's solid, and, yeah." Um, it just, it just, just didn't add up, and then obviously he's just continually um, doing fantastic across all distances. I don't, I can't think of anyone who's been that versatile within the same season or within the same block of racing weeks weeks, weeks. it's not it's like, <laughs> like you see guys like obviously yarn won a gold medal in itu but then when he shifted to long course that was five years later mate it was five yeah. years later <laughs> exactly. no, and then you go back to mark allen and greg walsh you know and yeah they were doing it but and take nothing away from them i, I put mark allen and greg walsh as two of the greatest of all time and, and even today i think they perform remarkably well so i'm taking nothing away from them yeah. But their perform there wasn't quite the depth, um, if we must be honest, at both oh, Ironman sure. and Nice and, yeah. and all those events. So to watch Christian sort of jump around like he does. I mean, he's in yeah. Super League races and then he's <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be fascinating watching this. He's got a nine day block and he's doing not it's not just the racing, it's the the travel. He's in Paris, then he's in Singapore, then he's back in Finland. Yeah. Racing the very best in the world. I mean because a lot of countries are turning up to Paris and, you know, it's often used as a selection race, um, you know, at least for one or two spots for each team. If you podium at Paris, often you, you're, you're a walk-on um, to the Olympic team. And and I don't know what Christian has to do there himself, but um, phenomenal. And then he still wants to go win Singapore, which has got a, st- a stacked field um, in the heat. Yeah. And then back to 70.3 Worlds to, you know, Try and crush that again. It will be very interesting to follow. I mean, you'd have to say uh, it's too much. <laughs> like I think, as, a, as a coach, would you recommend this? <laughs> something he's doing, he proves me wrong. So yeah. I don't want to yeah. feel like an yeah. idiot even saying it. But no, I know. If I was the coach, I'd be like, this is silly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. But, it, but uh, I mean, the, I've enjoyed watching it because, it, he, like to your point, I've enjoyed being proven wrong. Like we've all yeah. said, oh, you should be doing this and you should do this and blah, 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 and this is what the science tells us. And then you've got this guy going, no, screw the science, I'm going to do this and this. And you're like, yeah. wow. <laughs> I mean, how, hey, were you surprised with uh, Jan Fredino a couple of weeks ago in um, um, US it's Open? Funny. We, did a, we did a piece on it on the podcast yeah. before the race and I said I think he'll prove everyone that he can still beat everyone. Um, nice. You picked it. I just, it. Well, there's never – he's just – He's the Mr. Professional with the training. You know, he he knows how to – he's just proven over and over again that mm. he can get himself into the best possible shape when he wants to. He doesn't over-race now. I think he he never turns up unless he's, he's ready to go. I mean, there's yeah. quite a few races where he's been at the race and then he's, you know, been slightly sick, hasn't raced. You know, he's – he – I was I, – even in Nice, I think he'll um, – I'm, I'm not entirely sure about that that course for him. I think if it was Kona, I'd say, I think he can a hundred percent, you know, finish off as the champion, but Nice obviously brings up a whole different dynamic with that course. And I know Jan's an exceptional descender on the bike. It's probably, he certainly knows how to push it in training, which is why he's had a few crashes. Um, but he's, he is, you know, exceptional on the descent. I, I don't know how he climbs compared to the Norwegians. Um, what's your, what, what are your thoughts there? I know. I was studying Nice when they came out with the course and, you know, it was only, what is it, about 1,800 more feet of climbing than Kona, believe it or not. I think Kona is, what, 5,600 feet of climbing and I think this one's about 7,800 
or something, or maybe close to 8,000 feet of climbing. So this one does have probably close to two to 3,000. Most of that is in one climb. You know, yeah. there, there's, there's that secondary climb at about 120K, 125K of about 6K. And, and that, that'll, that to me is a launch pad. If you want to try and break somebody and try and give yourself a decent, you know, three to five minute start for the marathon, that's not a bad place to do it. I actually just don't think... I don't think anybody's going to try and crush that first 18 kilometer climb. It's just, the point is it's too early, you know, and you've got the rest of the bike and a full marathon to go. I feel, I think Jan will climb exceptionally well. The guy knows how to get himself very, very light. And so he's never carrying an ounce of extra weight. He definitely is somebody that I think, when it comes to climbing and descending, he's going to be more than capable. And then I think his marathon on the flat, I think he'll, he, he's got a decent leg speed, but he's going to have to drag them out. It's going to have to be a very fast marathon um, from the start. And I don't know. I still think Jan can win. I, I look at guys like Max Newman and, um, you know, guys that have been sniffing for a bit um, potentially there. But, yeah. Look, Christian, he's going to be in the mix again. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I don't know where to put Christian. Is he going to be focusing on the Olympics or is he going to be focusing on, on um, you know, the Nice and trying to win, a, win an Ironman, another Ironman world title because he did win Utah um, when we had it there during the pandemic. So he actually is an Ironman world champion already. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's easy to forget that. Yeah. yeah. And then Magnus Ditliff, the guy is – Man, he's a machine too. I don't know what happened to him in the US Open. I know he pulled off the course there. Do you know what was going on? Um, I don't know if it was GI distress. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think wearing a white suit, you probably couldn't get away with uh, no. just letting it go. So no, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I, yeah. I I would say I still have Jan for the win in Nice. I actually have Max Newman running into second, um, and then I think probably a Magnus in third. Maybe a Sam Laidlow up there as well, but who've you, who's your pick? No, so You're going to give me three? I'm Can you give me three? Loop, but is Gustav out of the race? What's Gustav? Gustav, I was reading something. He's having he's had a bit of a rough rougher year. Yeah. I think potentially he'll be back. I know he had you know it was a devastation with with his mum and and a whole bunch of things. So I think he's it's been a bit of off for him. I wouldn't say he's out by any means. No, I mean the fact that I haven't mentioned a. A Norwegian on my podium is probably pretty nuts. <laughs> I mean, for what they've been doing, but I don't know. Obviously, I have a soft spot for an Aussie to get up there. Uh, Jan Fudino, I think he's desperate to make a farewell song here. I think the guy's going to leave everything he has to try and create, you know, that be his last. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, if Gustav is fit, you got to remember he rode you know destroyed that course when it was 70.3 worlds yeah um, that's true that's true that's when he that's <laughs> when he really came into everybody's radar wasn't it yeah and he wasn't exactly setting he was having solid results in yeah. um leading up to it in the itu but he wasn't no. setting the world on fire and uh i wouldn't be surprised to to see him still be right up there just with the way he climbs and descends and um and obviously yeah i wonder if he'll do it on a road a bike year, but We'll see. Yeah. Wonder if we do it on a road bike again. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I think there'll be a lot of converted road bikes. Um, <laughs> had a good, 
I had a, a chat. Who were we talking to? Um, Braden Curry about what oh, he yeah. was going to do, and we sort of for the lighter guys. That time trial bike can be quite a penalty on a big, on yeah. quite a steep climb. Yeah. I always struggled in hilly races because, you know, I was carrying eight or nine kilos of bike plus bottles sometimes. Yeah. And if, as a percentage of my body weight racing at 62 kilos, um, it, it really hurt me. And then, you know, you look at who are the, who the best climbers are in the sport. They're always around that 70, 74, 75 kilo mark lionel sanders yeah um classic example sam long's a big dude and they climb really bloody well and i think um they can get away with taking a time trial bike uphill mm. whereas I, so i think a lot of the lighter guys will be have a six and a half seven kilo road bike just with with an aero front end yeah um, that's good feedback to do that that's good and honestly even the road bikes now are so super aerodynamic. It's more about your fit than it is the frame. I mean, you can probably tell me more yeah. about that. Yeah, but you know. when you when you consider, I mean, I deal with this every day with clients, but people love to drop ten to fifteen thousand dollars on a bike, and yet, you know, a helmet choice can make a bigger difference than the difference <laughs> yes. between frames at the moment. Yeah, so exactly. It's a, no, it's a constant battle between I, common sense and their. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you think about what do you about, about the the women then? You know, they'll be in Kona. We, you know, I, I am so bummed that we're not all together. I think it's just, you know, I'd rather all be in Nice together than than be splitting the men and women. I um, that's my, you know, and obviously I'd yeah. love to just keep everything in Kona, but whatever. I'm sure they've got their reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the opposite. I love that it's a rotating world champs. I think Kona should have been that should always be like the Tour de France. I think that had to keep that really special, mm. put a million dollars up for grabs, um, that sort of thing to to make it prestigious. But I love that everyone gets a chance at a world title in over the Ironman distance, regardless of their genetic uh, traits. I think Kona did ex, does exclude some guys. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I agree with that. Look, it took Chris well. McCormack seven years before he could win. Cause and I, I think he would have had more. 100% sure, he would have. More world titles. 100% uh, he would have. I've said that to him yeah. a bunch of times. He, he was yeah. the greatest Ironman athlete for five years there, but had to keep trying to figure out heat and humidity. And then you got Crowey, who's the greatest heat and humidity racer I've ever competed against, ever, whether that's lifetime fitness or whatever. It just didn't phase him at all. And every yeah. year they put yeah. the Ironman world champs in a hot, humid place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and even the seventy point three worlds, like when he yeah. won in yeah. Vegas, it, it suited him perfectly. Yeah. Um, I think what was impressive is Crowey also, you know, he he was able to adapt. He still had some, fin, you know, fantastic race in Melbourne. Oh, absolutely! No, I didn't mean to cheapen any of his career. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I th- and that's why I like that it rotates. I think um, it changes the dynamic. But I also think Kona's so special. You never want to lose that. So mm. There is a way to keep it keep it special and <laughs> to keep it special you dump a heap of money into it for yeah. prize purse yeah um, yeah uh <laughs> in terms of the women for for nice uh, sorry for kona um we got daniela with her performance i, I feel like just daniela is in wrath is unbelievable to see her not doing fantastic again yeah um well you got the runners you got sort of it, it, i don't know if it's going to change me you got daniela and lucy Charles Barkley. So you go, you know, Lucy leading out, holding them all off on the bike, Daniela having a monster bike. And then you got these, the runners, obviously with Annie Hug and Chelsea Sodaro. Mm. Um, and I know I'm leaving out names, so don't everybody be yelling at me. But if you think about the big four, in my mind, I mean, it's 
hard to go past Daniela again for the women. Every time people want to write her off, one of the all-time greatest to ever do the sport just says, hey, I'm back. Watch out. Yeah. You know, it's insane. Yeah, exactly. I think um, to, you know, obviously the effect of for Chelsea Sodaro, I think being a mum, there's a little bit of unpredictability there. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. You know, you, you go through. You can have a couple of bad weeks with it, with your kid not sleeping, and, yes. and things can change yeah. pretty quickly. That's a very good um, point. You know, I did all my pro racing pretty much with, you know, one to three kids in um, managing that, and it's it could very much determine how a month or two goes. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, she's got a, a husband in full support, but that that always leaves me like, oh, anything could happen. Um, I think. I hope she does fantastic. I found it really inspiring, yeah. obviously, last time. Um, but, yeah, Anne Haug, I think, is still a, a major factor. She's – she's. Oh. I, I, if anyone I, – I think it's between, probably between Lucy, Daniela and Anne. I think Lucy – Lucy puzzles me in that I feel like she's got a different bike fit every time I see her race and I'd love to see her get that sorted. Is that um, right? Yeah, you would notice more than I have. Yeah, you notice. I'm in a sort of a chat group with a couple of bike fitters, and we're all just like, "What is going on?" Like is sometimes right? the seats too high. Sometimes it just looks like huh. there's a lot, a few changes happening. That uh, Lucy, are you listening? I got to get her back on the show. It's been it's been a little while. Um, <laughs> and, and this is coming from a guy who changed my fit every single. I day, think so. I, you, you weren't you changing tires and fits and everything uh, the night I, before. My anxiety <laughs> to make me do lots of crazy things. Um, so I'm never one to. I'm, I shouldn't be judging, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be – it's going to be interesting to watch, but we know that it's going to be Daniela and off the front and can she be caught. You know, that last 60K of the bike mm. is always so special to watch and it's, you know, that's the Brett Sutton special. That's where the time really gets gained and everyone else is dropping off and Daniela seems to get seven or eight minutes in that last little yeah, portion. Phenomenal. What, whatever she then, does, she must ride like a 52-minute last 40K or something. It's insane yeah. the way she comes yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, Daniela's not doing anything this year and it's like whack. <laughs> and, then, and then it's then the race is on and we'll yeah. see Yeah, see if Anne can uh, to bring it back and, or Chelsea or, or Lucy, you know, I think Lucy – It'd be it'd be really interesting to see Lucy and Daniela get off together and and make that. That a, would be good. Um, yeah, it'd be a good run because Lucy's really and improved her run. Got that potential. I mm. just we'll just wait and see. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. All right, let's move back to the middle distance. You know, we have got the Singapore coming up this weekend with the PTO. Um, you know, Taylor Nib was unbelievable um, back in the US. I don't think she's racing Singapore. Ashley Gentle is yet to be off a podium at these PTO races. I think she'll be the hot favourite going in. Um, but then the week following, 70.3 World Championships in Finland, um, do you have uh, any idea who's going to be the hot favourites for that one? For Finland, it's interesting. It's um, I, I don't know. I think it's... Um, you know, there's, I think there's going to be some guys who are probably laying low and haven't been racing jumping around the globe chasing these PTO mm. races, that could be a real factor. Mm. Um, you know, I'm very biased, but Steve McKenna, yeah. um, who doesn't normally listen to me, <laughs> he, I convinced him to just focus on one race. Um, and so he's been training at the altitude in Switzerland. We're seeing numbers that I, I think, are, you know, he's at, he's at an all-time peak in terms of how he's going. Nice. Um, you've got a – it's a flatter course, so – it's it's going to come down to a, a swim and run race. I think there's mm. just not enough with the media, 
with this with only 10 meters between bikes i can't see the race splitting up that much mm-hmm. um so I, I i think it's going to come down to a 108 109 run off the bike and we will see i think it's it's not going to i don't think it's going to be usual your usual suspects um and we'll see how tired people are. There's, that's a lot of travel, a lot of racing. It's a lot of big racing um, now. What about, I mean, Jason West's run at the US yeah. Open. Um, so is he, is he doing Singapore? I don't know if he's doing Singapore. I, I should have to start the stuff. For the sake of 70.3 worlds, that I he's mean, not. His run. He's got a real shot. Yeah, I think yeah. his run and I think his confidence he's carrying because of that run, you know, listening to him and he said, you know, he almost gave up that many times and then just went to hell with it. It's like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, removing expectation and just going. Um, I think he just surprised the hell out of himself that he was able to run all the way up into second. And it wasn't just, I mean, he ran a 56 and the next best was a 101. I mean, he's running low 31s for the 10K and everybody else is running 30, mid 33s. It's yep. for people to understand, that is ginormous. I retired from sport because I was always running, you know, that's between 30 and 31 off the bike and that would, you know, either get you a win or on the podium. And I retired because I started running 32s. You know, once you're running 32s, you're losing a minute and people are running past you and like, oh, I'm done. I mean, that there's a huge numbers. That's huge numbers that he's going to be getting off the bike with. To your point, if it's a swim run and the, and it stays together closer on the bike, I mean, and it's twenty one k, not eighteen. Man, he's a hard one not yeah. to really put high on your gambling bet. Yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting whether guys like Ben Canute and and the if there can be a little breakaway in that swim, yeah, it yeah. does change, change the dynamics a lot. You know what it's like in these big races. Yeah, it's yeah. the front few guys with, with the media around. And even though it will be reduced, obviously, because of the horrific incident um, mm-hmm. in which race was it? Sorry, that was the, uh, that was the um, European PTO, was it, champs? Uh, no, no. No, it was an Ironman event. It was Ironman. Sorry. Yeah, yeah yes, so it was. It was. It was Ironman. Yes. <clears throat> that can give them that extra. Uh, it depends how, if they have a media you know, some motorbikes with the second group, but not normally. So, you know, laid low, um, you know, potentially Ditlev. If these guys do get a little gap in the swim, it changes things a lot for Jason. It does. Um, if that know. group does stay together and if it's it's a wetsuit swim, I'm pretty certain. So that changes things a lot. <clears throat> I think it could be one big group. And if that's the case, you'd have to – I'm looking at guys like Jason Ware, Steve McKenna, these real exceptional runners yes, to, um, yes. to just to be able to. How's Max Newman doing? I know he had a bit of a break um, after his. It's ex- always so hard to know. He doesn't put anything on social. I know, media. I know. I was. Uh, I want to get not, him on the I podcast, well, and I, so. I, I, we were going to get him on the podcast a few weeks back, and we've. I think we've sort of paused it for the moment, but I'm very curious as to see if he's in that sort of European PTO shape that he I was. Think, and um, a cooler race. I think Max is one of those guys we're talking about guys who can perform in the heat yeah i never noticed any real difference between his hot race pace and his cold race mm. pace mm. and that's not to take away from max but he's exceptional in the heat yeah um I'm well look at his kona performance Coast when he beat steve last year that was cool mm. um and he still he did rate you know what was exceptional about that race he sat on the front of that group for probably two-thirds of the bike and still outran everyone oh he's a monster so yeah yeah i think um 
I think he's up there for sure. I just, if it was a hot and humid race, he'd be up there as my, probably my number one pick. But the, when the, the heat and humidity is taken away, a few other guys can come into his his realm. Some of the bigger guys will be fine in, in Finland. It's going to be quite cold, I imagine, maybe even a bit yeah. wet. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Someone like a, a Ben Canute, I'd love to see him have, have a, another podium performance. Um, Lionel Sanders, we haven't mentioned him. He's been a bit quieter this year, do you think? Yeah, I think... Um, it's. I, I wonder how he's going. You know, like it's a. He's probably at that point where he might have seen the, the peak years, and then, um, you know, he's such a competitor, and the new wave is coming, and he's he's sort of missing that group, obviously in the PTO races, and it's a hard ride back up, and then, I, I don't know. I I, I would personally <laughs> think he's so good at climbing, but not descending. So if he doesn't. I'm assuming he's doing Nice. I'm not sure about 70.3 Worlds. I don't know if he's qualified for Nice yet. Ah, okay. Interesting. I don't know. I think I might have read something on that. People are going to tell me all of these statistics. Like the, <laughs> amount, the amount of events that we're covering in this chat right now, you and I are like yeah, all, 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 all over the place. But all right, well, how about with the women at 70.3 World Champs? I, you know, I'd love to see Ash, um, you know, Ashley Gentle, um, you know, she's done exceptional over this distance from moving from the Olympics. Um, I love to feel like I had a part of it, by the way. When I had her on the podcast a few years ago, she's like, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, leaving the whole Olympic campaign and going to middle distance. I'm like, leave the Olympic campaign right now. You've had your turn. Go be a professional in the in the middle distance and potentially long eventually. Um, and boy. Yeah, we, we said that. I've- I mean, most of us have been saying it for years, like, what is she doing? She could be cleaning it. And then I think her first first or second race, she takes home 100K. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> um, I know. I, and speaking of Jason's exceptional run, Ashley's pretty much the same. There's oh. no one. She's minutes ahead on the Ama- run. Amazing. Um, I, I think Finland will be – I see it very hard for her mm. to be beat. I think the only – it's the same as the men. If there is a breakaway in that swim, if Taylor Nib gets a, a jump on her out yeah. of the swim and yeah. then he's biking a couple of minutes ahead, then it changes the whole dynamic. But if it's a mass group out of the swim, I can't see Ashley losing. Wow. It's a big call because Ta- Taylor Nib was impressive in Wisconsin. My goodness. Yeah. Her, her bike, unbelievable. <laughs> it's just it amazing. It's, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think they're the two hot favourites. Obviously, we got you know Emma Plant Brown and Holly Lawrence and Paula Finley, and that, that we're we're leaving out a lot of names. But you know, it's it's um, it's been incredible to watch. Flora Duffy's been a little quiet this year. Um, I think probably with a few injuries. I don't know if I've seen her around much. Um, but yeah, I got a feeling Ash could probably pull this one off as well in Finland. Um, yeah, I hope it's so. A, it's going to be her a sake. course to do it. And yeah. the only thing that will be a factor, and it always plays a role, is the travel to Europe. Yeah. The Europeans drive a few hours and they yeah. turn up and it's, it only needs to be a couple of percent. Well, where's Ashley and now? Is she in Europe or is she in the US? She's not I, back I in Australia. I'm assuming she would be, but I know that she was in Boulder. Um, well, she's on the start I, list for Singapore though. Okay. <laughs> Hard not to be when there's that much money up for grabs. Um, I know. I don't blame her. She's but, done so yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> So I think, you know, when whenever the world champs have been in Europe, you tend to see seven to eight out of the top ten are Europeans. Yeah. And sometimes, guys, you 
on girls you haven't really never heard of. of. Yeah, uh, and the same thing when it was in Australia. You know, six of the seven. Well, who won the who won the seventy point three worlds? Who was that guy that won seventy point three worlds? It was last in Australia. Oh, is that where you we were segueing? Sorry, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, well, um, we still the big one. Okay, let's pick. Um, what about the Olympics? Have you watched much of the World Series stuff? I know it's a bit of a shorter distance. Um, I have to be honest. I haven't. I no. Mean, yeah. I, I, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of Hayden Wild. Um, had him on the podcast. I don't know. You guys need him on your podcast. He's just, oh, he brought me to tears. That's how th- this guy, just his story. And I asked him, you know, he, he had such a great year. And I asked him, this was well, 18 months ago, and I asked him, you know, what did you do with all your prize money? He said, you know, well, I paid off my mom's mortgage. You know, she's no 55 <laughs> and she shouldn't have to. I was just like, oh, my God, you're just such a good human being. Um, And I've just loved watching that guy race. And uh, I'd love to see him win gold. I haven't had Alex Yee on the show, in fairness, and and I'm sure he's a great guy too. But I'd love to see Hayden have a big win at the Olympics. Um, And then I think, um, you know, somebody – I'd love a – obviously, we have an Aussie. We have an Aussie man (laughs) that is actually showing the world that, you know, with with Matt Hauser – um, yeah. and, and his year, I just, I don't know. I think he could go in a little under the radar. Yes, he won He won in Montreal this year. Big win. First time he had the big win. Um, and, he's, and he's going very well. But I, I think he could be one to watch as well for us Aussies. Um, but it, it will be a French. I think there's going to be one, two, three French guys that are really pushing it for that one um, on the men's side. Um, I think, I mean, as a as a – just as a fan, I love seeing the um, camaraderie even between Alex Yee and Hayden Wild. Oh, it's cool, isn't like, it? It's just yeah. such good sportsmanship yeah. with that, yeah. those top few guys. Yeah. I think um, Matt Hauser and Hayden Wild, I love that they seem very well-rounded triathletes. Yes, you know, there's, yes. They're, you know, there's obviously for someone watching ITU over the years, there was always that feeling you'd see some – a specialist runner who would win win some of the races, yeah. and, and it was a little bit, you know. Obviously, that changed with the Brownleys; they just started riding away from everyone. <laughs> you better be able to do change, everything. Change yeah, the yeah. game again. Yeah, yeah. But um, I love seeing seeing when a, a like a triathlete who's just yeah magnificent across the swim bike run. I love to see them um, do really well. And Hayden certainly seems to fit the bill, as does Matt. Well, yeah, um, you, you got Matt Hauser, Hayden Wild. We've got to throw in Christian Blumenfeld's name again. <laughs> talk about him in 70.3 and Ironman, but we're also going to talk about the Olympics next year. He is, you know, the reigning Olympic champion. He won in Tokyo um, and he he ran away from Alex Yee and Hayden Wild, who are both, by the way, low 13-minute 5K runners. Like, yeah. like 5K, like we've never comprehended. Like mm-hmm. to me... I remember I ran a low 14 minute and I, for me, that was like the biggest thing in triathlon. These guys are running 40 seconds up the road. They're 200 meters in front. Um, I will say though, Greg, that low 14, if you then add in 4% advantage from the current shoes. Oh, then, uh, then I'm at 11 minutes. <laughs> you're, prob- you're probably not that far off. That's it. Oh, you're very kind, mate. Reminding the young guys these these things. <laughs> they're called the four uh, percenters, so we're we're not making numbers up. They said they're four percent better. So well, when uh, when Nike put out their preliminary papers on it, it was a range of zero to six percent benefit. So there were guys wow. getting up to six percent advantage, and some athletes who weren't getting anything. Wow. So you know yeah. the, the whole oh it's a level playing field because everyone gets the advantage isn't actually true. There's Depends on your biomechanics. Athletes. Yeah, it yeah it really does. And, yeah. Um, 
Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've done heaps of testing with athletes. We just cycle through shoes and do blood lactates and work out which shoe works best for them. And it is fascinating. Really? Yeah. really? Some people who do really well in the Nikes and and others that don't, then you put them in an ASICs and, and suddenly it works for them. So, no you know, the same way that I won't be long before you probably can get online and customize your carbon plate. Uh, oh that's awesome well there's a business for you there right there mate why don't you become the the world leader in that expertise i love that that's so cool all the only experiments i've had with with these you know shoes is i was coaching an athlete four or five years ago and you know when they were first coming out and i think terenzo bazzoni you know a good friend terenzo had been winning a few ironmans and 70.3s i think he was one of the first i ever saw wearing them and um the guy i was training with had a couple of pairs so i I went and he wasn't around, so I, th- I threw them on and ran down the hallway. And I was like, holy crap, I might have to make a comeback. I remember just thinking, wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm spring-loaded down this place. So I think yeah. I was more like the 4 to 6%. Um, yeah, right. Boy, they felt special. Yeah. I, I, I was bummed because when they first came out, I went and did a bunch of testing with Burkle and I made him cycle through shoes and he was getting like a – it was about t- I think at 320K pace. He was like 12 – heart rate difference and, wow and i was like three. Oh, really <laughs> I was like wow I was devastated i just wow. didn't get any advantage from it because i'm a real cadence runner and i yeah. it, was, it was lifting my feet i just couldn't get the stride length i needed to is it the way you hit the that. ground is that what you've noticed if people hit the ground harder rather than shuffle yeah, more they're the getting more of a- legs the bigger leg stride you yeah. know sort of that kenyan <laughs> where your heels hitting your bum uh, thing, you know <clears throat> i think oh i, I think would have been perfect then mate i'm a pure kenyan runner I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, let's right. mo- let's move on. The the women's Olympic Games. Um, I have a very soft spot for Cassandra Bogrand being home soil in France. I think it'd be I don't know. It'd be kind of cool for for a Frenchie to win on home soil in Paris. Um, and Cassandra, the way she's performing is just off the chart. But it's not going to be our own. the Brits. The British women have just been outstanding for so long. If Georgia Taylor Brown can you know stay healthy. Uh, Beth Potter, um, you heard of Beth Potter when she broke that 5K world record <laughs> in that yeah. in that little 5K she did in um, it was a road race in oh, absolute right. phenomenal. I, I remember it's popping up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I'm not fully across it. I've watched uh, Super League and I've uh, you know I've got some respect, but I don't, I'm not across. The no, no, no. Look, mate, <laughs> if you think about what you have to watch these days, if you want to keep up, you got to watch all the Super Leagues. You then yeah. got to watch all the World Triathlon Series, World Championship <laughs> races, and there's relays in there as well. Then you go to the PTO and their 100K races. Then you go to the Ironman 70.3 and then the Ironmans. And so then you got to then you got to raise three kids and run a business. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think um, I think the 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 women's racing I still think is actually kind of pretty open as as is the men's, which is what I kind of like. It's not you know, a Gwen Jorgensen domination or, um, you know, I mean, if Flora gets herself back healthy, um, she's just extraordinary and she is the defending champion. Um, <clears throat> but it'll be interesting. Look, we're still a year out from the games, but watching the test event this weekend or this Thursday, Friday, I just looked that up. That's 2am for me to watch it. <laughs> so oh. I won't be watching that live. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting, mate. There's, there's a lot of racing. Obviously we've got the super league, like you said, that's about to start up again with, a. London, Toulouse, Malibu and Neom, Chris McCormack's crushing it with that series. And I think that's such a great feeder for our sport. Um, I just hope some of these, you know, it can continue and they can continue to have a big audience and get big sponsorships. Um, it's not hard to keep these, easy to keep these things going. Um, <laughs> they're a lot of money. Um, 
But mate, before I let you go, we've covered a lot. Um, love this chat with you. Uh, a couple of questions for you. And uh, I kind of, I'm not sure if I asked you these ones last time, but I'm going to ask them again anyway. Um, I want to rewind the clock. You're 16, 17. What do you tell yourself? Um, I think if I was 16, 17, uh, I'm just a big believer in, I think work ethic is just one of the things that I learnt has whenever I am just consistently working hard at something, not, you don't have to be crazy with that work ethic, but just consistency of applying it day in, day out. I think telling myself that that can lead to great things um, mm. was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I fell into it anyway. My, you know, I, I did have, you know, I had a dad who really taught me a good work ethic early on by sending me to work in washing dishes in kitchens every school holidays from about 14 <laughs> years of age. Oh, wow. Things like that. I think learning to work and not uh, never, I think not not ever expecting anything from, mm. from other people. You know, like mm. I didn't even know. I remember we'd finish, I used to train with a guy, we'd finish washing up at this restaurant at about 11, 12 at night then we'd go run till 1am and then I'd I'd hear about these kids doing part of the TA um, high performance program and I was just like what they get to train all day they get funding for a massage they get this and that and I was so jealous but I was just like when I look at it I think you know 95% of them maybe Mm -hmm. just all dropped out um, over the following years Aaron Royal was the one guy who, who stuck at it um and I think there's a lot to be said for just learning how to work and, and chip away and, and mm. um, that's something. Great advice. That, yeah. Yeah, I think just be consistent and and work hard. No, that's <laughs> so, mate. It's, not, think, it's nothing uh, revolutionary. I love that it, though. It pay off. <laughs> there's no shortcuts, right? It's like, no, yeah. you just got to keep chipping away. Pile that, you know, the wood pile up. Just keep logging trees. Um, that's awesome. And, and a good reminder, to be honest. All right, next one. Who would you want to have dinner with? Non-family, living or dead? Three people. Oh, these, you should have given me this before we started, Greg. I did. <laughs> um, I did. You just didn't read the email. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three people. Oh, this is Craig Alexander. Always enjoy hanging out with him. Oh, that's um, awesome. Bob Hawke. Hawkey. Love it. <laughs> number three would be... We've got probably Luke Longley. Love Big it. Fan of him. Yeah. Yeah. What a what an awesome three. For people who don't know, Bob Hawke was our prime minister way back in eighty to eighty five. I guess. Did you watch um on Netflix, um, the America's Cup Netflix show? I don't know if it's just oh, in Netflix in Australia, it, no. but it's very cool. And they have Hawkey on. It was his last interview he did before he passed away, and um. Uh, it was a very special time. You, you, you're, you probably weren't even born, but <laughs> mate, 1982. I remember as a ten-year-old and Hawkey. You know, after we won the America's Cup, you know, first time in hundred years, over hundred years that the Americans had ever been beaten, and and they came from three-one down to win four-three, and 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 Australia just it was just Hawkey got on. We 
spear in hand, you know, this is our prime minister at the time, is it? Any, any, any boss that, that uh, fires an employee for not turning up to work today is a bum, you know. It was basically, you know, it just went viral, you know. It was, just, yeah. it was such a special time in Australian history. And I, I look back almost from that 1982 as the real boom. I think Australia was a little quiet in the 70s, but I think in the 80s and the 90s we had this real push in sport that just – I think it was almost from that moment. I think it was such a pivotal time in Australian history. It was very special. Um, yeah, and I think we're actually sort of going through it again with the Matildas. Like, oh, I mean, mate, so I good. If I could explain to you the energy that's here oh, yeah. around it. Like we, I was in Sydney on the weekend for City of the Surf, but I could, we had a big screen up where I was staying and, you know, a few different families all watching it together. But you could hear every single house just yeah. yelling, you know, at, at every moment through that game. Yeah. And, uh, and this is the quarterfinal game we're talking about, people, because this episode will come out. Uh, we'll actually have the final already decided. But the quarterfinal game between Australia and France and it went to penalty shootout and just I think it was like ten, the 10th one finally, <laughs> finally oh, won man. it for Australia. My yeah. goodness. It was so – I was up in the morning here. and out of rhythm. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. No, you're right. I think, um, I think too it, it shows to me how – you know, I've also, also seen the dark side of sport, you know, where, you know, there's, you know, pros with eating disorders and all these sort of problems that come. And, and then I see the mm. side now where it's like sport really does bring people together. And it that, does. I'm just seeing it all again with the Matildas. It's fantastic. It's funny. We have a rule at home. We don't have any TV. We don't have any Netflix but except for sport. And I grew okay. up in a house where that's all I had with my brother. It was like all we ever had was sport on TV. And so, you know, I, had, I, I was up at four, which is my normal time, but I just – and I, I knew the Matildas were playing and I came in and it was nil-nil and I'm watching the whole thing. And then my daughter gets up at, you know, 5.30. And so we're watching the whole game, you know, and it was just – I don't know, to watch it with my five-year-old on my lap now who's half American, half Australian, who I'm kind of like, hey, you should probably represent Australia, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it was, uh, I don't know, for me, to your point, it's it's really special. And to see women's sport to be, I don't know, it's like, it's like I said to my wife, honestly, look, I enjoy all sport, but if you, I could watch that women's soccer game and if you'd changed all those heads of all the players and put, men's heads on it i wouldn't know any different no the level level is amazing the level is so outstanding and i don't know for anybody that would oh it's women's sport no 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 (laughs) you watch the way these far and away the most watched of um not even sporting event television show in australia the last two games it's just smashing the record that's awesome that's even on the gym here i'm in lifetime gym over here in um in, in florida and on the TVs, they have the replay of the Australia-French game constantly in the mornings when I'm there. They're oh, playing nice. it over and over again. It's, it's, you know, it's happening and, you know, we've got the two semifinals coming up this week and then the final on the weekend. Like I said, by the time this show comes out, we'll know the results, but I'm just hoping Australia can rebound after such an emotional – that was uh, – I don't know. I'm a big one, like we talked about earlier in the show, I'm a big one about hormones and emotions and I just mm. – I struggle to see them. I don't know. I, I shouldn't. I don't know exactly. <laughs> I don't want to put saying. the mickey on him, but it was like the French were so tired. Times you can, you can yeah. you know, go to that level. Go that deep and have that. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, they're playing England in a couple of days' times. But, mate, this has been awesome. I did have rapid-fire questions for you, but I think one f- <laughs> I've been going for quite a while with you. Yeah. I know you've got family and work you've got to be doing. But, mate, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this chat with you. What's, what's next for you? What's coming up? Um. 
Mate, I've just been enjoying doing some running races. I've got my heart oh. ablation coming up, so then oh, okay. <laughs> I've never fully retired, but yeah, I, yeah. I can't see myself. You know, I'd love to get back into some, um, some even if it was some local racing once the heart's all sorted. But yeah. I take a, some medication which makes me fall asleep while I do these running races and it stops my heart going out of rhythm. So oh, it's been fun to do that. I've got a yeah. looking at a 100K race oh. in December. Oh, wow. Um, just, you know, like I, it's, again, I'm still dealing with the transition, Greg. So yeah, no, 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 having that, having something to focus on and running yeah. is such a beautiful sport in that you can do six hours a week and, and you're um, mm-hmm. still training quite a lot for a runner. So yeah, uh, that's been fun. And so I'll tick off a few more uh, running races and just try and stay healthy and, and keep building the, the coaching, which I'm, which I'm loving doing. Yeah. And that's read performance coaching. Uh, if people want to group, yeah. RPGcoaching.com. Okay. Um, check it out. We've got a lot of things coming up. We've got an aero camp coming up in January that we need to get a few more people on board to bring okay. over right. some aerodynamic experts. So yeah. Where, where's that camp at? It's in Jindabyne. Oh, very so, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great old stomping ground in the snowy mountains of Australia for any internationals that are listening. Could be a good way to yeah. get go and enjoy some summertime in Australia. And um, how to get 15 watts of free speed. Love it. Board. That with your <laughs> shoes, mate. <laughs> we should, be, we should <laughs> <Yeah>. be good to go. <laughs> All right, Reedy, mate. This has been a true pleasure. I really enjoy our chats. I actually do think we have a business uh, in mind coming up with helping um, – athletes transition to civilian life. Um, I think we can do it with military and first responders as well, but we can always start with athletes and then um, I think there's something here. Um, But, mate, thoroughly enjoyed this chat. Uh, I can't believe it's actually an hour 15. It was one of those that just went flying by. So I really appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, no, it was was really cool to chat. Um, Anytime you want me up at 6 a.m., I am. (laughs) (laughs) All right, mate. Maybe make this a a weekly thing. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be great. (laughs) All right, buddy. Everybody else, thank you for listening. Um, You can find all the show notes and timestamps at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right. Stay on the line, team. Cheers, mate.